So uh, Aaron Glenn Denning uh, gave us the message this last week, and we're grateful to hear his words, and, and hopefully you took away a couple of encouraging things from him that you are seizing the day, carpe diem, right? You're, you're making your bed first thing in the morning, you're taking a cold shower first thing in the morning. Um, hopefully you got a little bit more than just that, um, but we're grateful that he came and delivered that message to us this last Sunday. So as uh, full disclosure, uh, I have a discipleship group, and I always insert a word that only they know about into each of my sermons, and you haven't picked up on it because you don't know what the word is. But my wife uh, this morning found out about that word, and she's like, what? That's so easy. You should try something harder like fried chicken. So that's going to be the uh, challenge today is uh, how I'm going to fit that in, uh, just for her. Just kidding. So, the past few uh, sermons that I've done, we've been on this developing a better posture of rest. And we've looked at some Old Testament passages, and we've looked at some of the New Testament passages in light of Jesus, and how do we see these passages uh, being uh, fulfilled through the life of of Christ. And I want to encourage you, if it's your first time here, or if you're joining us online for the first time, to go back and listen to part one and part two, because I'm going to be referencing some of those scripture passages, and it'll help you understand why I'm coming to the conclusions I'm coming to this morning. And it should give you a broader understanding of the sermon this morning. Last week, or two weeks ago, uh, I said, you know, well, I didn't say this. The Bible says this. God created the heavens and the earth, right? Everything in it. And then he rested on the seventh day. He created Adam and Eve, and he made them be in charge of the garden. So I talked about how both work is a blessing that God has given to us as a gift. And rest is also a gift Then uh, we looked at some other Old Testament passages, and then we looked at some New Testament passages, and that's what we're going to do today. Maybe some of you here have never considered what the Sabbath is, or what it really means to make it set apart to be holy and to honor the Sabbath. And so some questions that you've had today, should Christians keep the same 24-hour period mandate as the Israelites did in the Old Testament, right? And should Christians keep the same command today? And how does that get lived out in our society and the way our society is structured? And then lastly, is there a way of honoring the Sabbath, keeping it holy, by keeping it set apart, that might we might be doing something that is considered work on this particular day. So, all those questions you've had, and I'm not going to answer any of them this morning. Just kidding. I'll, I'll, I'll answer them. But before we move into Scripture, I want to look at this word Sabbath, right? Shabbat. And it's used over 130, 50, 70, 170 times uh, throughout the Old Testament. And here is what it means. You can read the definition. And if you are driving right now, don't look at your phone uh, to look at the definition. Essentially, it means to leave, to put away, to rest, to be still, to take away. It is not just used as the word for the seventh day, but also in celebrating particular 
holidays, festivals, celebrations, the things that God has asked the people to recognize. It's to cease from doing all work. And it's to find rest, to be still. It really does imply that the Sabbath day is meant for rest, to let go of. In Exodus chapter 20, we see that the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses and then down to the people, in Exodus 31, we're given a little bit more information about the Sabbath and about the importance of it. So it says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you and for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. And whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, and he was refreshed. When we looked at the passage in Numbers chapter 15 a couple of Sundays ago, and we saw that a man was found collecting wood, and the people were like, hey, this guy's working, he's collecting wood, what should we do with this person? They brought him to Moses, and Moses inquired to God, and God says, this man must die for what he had done. It was a big deal to keep the Sabbath, to not work, to not perform any work on this particular day. Much later during the time of Isaiah, God is asking the prophet Isaiah to to plead to the community, to ask their hearts to be turned back to him because the spiritual practices of sacrificing and and fasting and, and keeping the Sabbath had distracted the people away from the why behind what they were doing. Not just the what, but the why behind what they were doing in the first place. They were just kind of going through the motions. They were just doing this as a way of kind of rogue repetition, but their hearts were not into it. The people had forgotten the reason why God was asking them to honor the Sabbath in the first place. And so God, through the prophet Isaiah, says, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on the holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going on your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord." And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Hundreds of years later, through the prophet Ezekiel, the people were still struggling and they were now exiled. And the prophet Ezekiel is telling the people after they had messed up, he's reminding them, he's like, look, guys, you have to remember all the things that we keep messing up. God is after your hearts. God is wanting your heart. You guys are continuously committing idolatry all the time and he's wanting to get their attention back. He's like, look, you have been rebellious in your hearts. You have turned away from God. You have desecrated the Sabbath and not thinking that it was an important observation. So what can be said about the Sabbath from these passages and what can be said about the Sabbath from the other passages that I've preached on over the past, other sun, past few other Sundays? Number one, the Sabbath is important. The Sabbath is important. Pretty get that. Number two, God thinks it's important. Number three, the people need to realize that it's important. Number four, it matters to God, and so it should matter to us. That's it. That's the end of the sermon. Just kidding. It's not. But as we hear from the Old Testament passages and the importance of keeping the Sabbath by making it holy and that there was a death penalty associated with this command, how do we understand now the Sabbath in the light of Jesus, in the light of Christ, God coming down to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us, God is walking among the people and he is showing and demonstrating who he is. He is a sinless Man, and yet still being God at the same time. 1 John 3, 5 says, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and my discipleship group will understand why I said 1 and 2 and not 1st and 2nd. And so it's an inside joke, but we're getting there. It says, God made him who has no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And since he is sinless and he is the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins, how do we understand Jesus' action in Luke chapter 6, verse 6 through 11? On another Sabbath, this means that Jesus had done this before. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you what is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life, or to destroy it. He looked at all of them, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious. They were beginning to discuss with one another, what they were, am I going to do to Jesus? The Pharisees were mad at Jesus because Jesus had broken the law. This law was a big deal. Remember, it carried with it a death penalty. And here Jesus is willy-nilly 
healing people on the Sabbath. Who does he think he is? Well, he's God, right? But who does he think he is? Can't believe he's doing this. But Jesus asks them, what is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy it? Which indicates that God himself is revealing the true nature of this law. That he's moving away from the strict adherence dictated through the Old Testament. He is now fulfilling it through understanding what the spirit of the law is in the first place. It's understanding that this context that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, right earlier, that Jesus says, He is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is in control. God is in control. The Holy Spirit is in control. Three in one. So previous to this, Jesus had been going through the fields with his disciples. His disciples were picking heads of grain. They were eating it. The disciples were getting Uh, essentially chastised. Jesus was getting chastised again by these religious leaders. How can you let your people do this work? On the Sabbath, you're breaking the law. But Jesus was sinless. How can this be? Later on in Luke chapter 13, 10 through 17, Jesus comes and and he heals this woman who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. She couldn't straighten up at all. And so starting in verse 12, it says, When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Jesus healed her on the Sabbath. There it is again. Jesus working on the Sabbath. And yet he was sinless. He was breaking the law, but he was sinless. You know, the teachers of the law did not take very kindly to him working. And Jesus broke the law. So does this mean that Jesus didn't care at all about the law or that the rules that he had established long ago were no longer important, that Jesus can just willy-nilly do whatever he wants? The rules don't apply to him? No. As we find from Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 18, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What Jesus showed us is that doing good on the Sabbath, for restoring people's health, for healing, setting people free, to allow others to experience the goodness of God is always lawful on the Sabbath. Where people went wrong, where the people in the Bible went wrong, where The teachers of the law were going wrong. Where we sometimes go wrong is that our understanding of the Sabbath and these strict rules that we keep trying to abide by, none of us are going to be able to measure up perfectly when stacked against the law. Look, there's over 600 laws in the Old Testament that were given And at any given day, one of those laws was getting broken by somebody. 
Okay? When we are measured compared to the law, we will all fail. No matter how hard we try, we can't keep the laws. The people couldn't keep the laws. But it didn't mean that the laws were not important to God because they were. But now what the people were struggling with during the time of Jesus was that their intent behind the laws They didn't understand. They were struggling with trying to live this out in a way that pleased God rather than just trying to hold to these strict rules where they were feeling like they were being pigeonholed or put into a box, that they were limited to what they could do. So why are they even honoring and keeping the Sabbath in the first place? Was it so that they would be forbidden? forbidden to do anything and everything that could be seen as work? Or was the intent more for the people to rest in the presence of God and to experience rest from the ordinary? Let me ask you a question, right? There was over a million people that left Egypt that were wandering around in the wilderness. A million people Probably, that's an estimate. It's going to be close to that amount of people. A million people. Do you think that the person that was stoned for collecting wood in November, November, Numbers 15, was the only one that ever broke that law? Do we think that out of a million people, he was the one person that was found working and then they had to stone him to death because he was collecting wood? I would say no. Okay, it's not in the Bible, but I would venture to guess that over a million people, that there were other people that were breaking this law and all the other laws as well. For 40 years wandering in the wilderness, they're going to mess up. And they did mess up. So the intent was to keep the people set apart from the other nations to make them holy. Their lives needed to reflect differently than the nations that were surrounding them and the land that they were going into. They were needing to shine as a light to those nations. So God was separating them. He says, your life has got to look different than them. You've got to rest. You've got to stop doing work. And it's important. So let me answer the first question that you're asking Is there a strict adherence to keeping a 24-hour period of Sabbath like that was commanded to be lived out by the Israelites? From what we see in Jesus fulfilling the law is that the short answer is no. Keeping the Sabbath, making it holy, being set apart is going to look differently than how it was instituted before. Jesus didn't say that the Sabbath was unimportant. Of course it was, and it's still important. But Jesus showed us, and he reiterated over and over, that this healing, this doing good, this separating this day into something different from the rest of the week is something that we should still be practicing today. When we follow the letter of the law of the Pharisees, When we hold and try to make a strict adherence to taking this law precisely, we miss the intent that God has given to us in the first place. Jesus even said, look, 
How many of you, if you had an animal wander into a cistern or, or into a ditch, would you not go and rescue it on the Sabbath? Of course you do. You've all done that. So why are you looking at these instances so strictly when you yourselves are in fact breaking these laws too? Again, measured against the letter of the law, we will all mess up. It doesn't matter if you were just trying to sit into your house for a 24-hour period, not trying to work at all. Hey, as soon as you flip on that switch, hey, now you're causing someone to BPU at work, you know, or hey, you're driving your car, hey, you're burning gas, so that's, you know, whatever. You're making the stoplights go on and off. It's like, hey, it's because of you, we can't have nice things, whatever, right? So we can't make... According to the law, we cannot keep these perfectly. And the people did not keep them perfectly either. By the way, what Jesus was so mad at regarding the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is that they were creating additional laws to protect the people from the actual law. So, for instance, and I'm just throwing this out. I'm not, this isn't in the Bible. I'm just making this as an example, right? If you're going to say that collecting firewood on the Sabbath is against the law, and that's your center law, you cannot work. So, to prevent you from breaking this law, we're going to create a law that says you're not allowed to get within 10 feet of a fallen log because we don't want you to be tempted to go and cut it or gather it for firewood. In fact, even we need to create a law to keep you from getting within 10 paces that you have to stay at home throughout this 24-hour period of time so that you will not be tempted to go next to a log so that you might be tempted to actually collect the log for firewood. Okay, do you see where I'm going? The Pharisees, the people were creating additional laws as a hedge of protection against from the actual law. And all these people are trying to figure out how they're trying to live their lives not breaking any of the rules when they're breaking all the rules because there's so many for them to obey. On the seventh day, God rested from his work. Does it mean that he completely removed himself from creation? You know, like Adam and Eve were like, hey, God, we've got a question. He's like, hey, hey, come talk to me on Monday, all right? I'm resting. Of course not. But God rested. Does it mean that he was rested and totally uninvolved with what was going on? Of course not. Just like when we rest, we're not totally uninvolved with the things that are going on around us either. So this brings us to the answer of the next question. Should Christians keep the same command today? And how does this play out in the way our society is structured? Our cultural context is different than the cultural context when the laws were handed out. But it doesn't alleviate us from honoring the Sabbath by keeping it holy. It just might look differently. In fact, this last day, this Sabbath day, the end of the week, which was Saturday, in fact, the Arabic word for seven is sabah. And then if you speak Spanish, the Seventh day on Saturday is Sabado. So, right, this is where these word, root words come from the Sabbath, the Shabbat, right? This is the seventh day, anyway. But the Apostle Paul talks about this and about honoring one day over another. Again, it goes behind intent. Romans chapter 14, 5 through 10. 
One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord both of the living and the dead. You, then why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? We're all going to stand before God's judgment seat. If you believe what you are doing is honoring God and taking an experience of rest, experiencing rest, you're doing it for yourself and you're doing it as a way of honoring God, then I say go for it. Some people find rest in gardening. To go down and to be with their vegetables or their flowers or whatever, it brings them comfort, it brings them rest, it brings them restoration of their souls. For me, not so much. I don't want to go out there and garden and get dirty and hot and sweaty, like messing around with plants. So for me, I don't garden on one of those days. Some of you will just put on your headphones, get on the zero radius or zero turn radius lawnmower, and you just go out and cut lawn for three hours, and it is totally peaceful and relaxing for you. For me, not so much. So I'm not going to mow the lawn. Well, I don't have to mow the lawn because I have older kids now that get to mow the lawn for me. Praise the Lord. And so I'm very happy for that. Some of you love cooking. It brings you joy. It brings you creativity. You get to shower or you know, shower yourselves with great food. And maybe some of you, it's artwork and you love painting and it's not a chore for you. It's just something that you find rest and you get to experience. Some of you hate cooking and it is a chore for you. And so you choose not to cook on one of those days and you go out to eat. Some of you won't go out to eat because you don't want to have other people work on that day. So you don't want to cause them to sin. Whatever it is, however you want to honor God is how you're going to honor God and experience rest because the Sabbath was created for you. Some of you like to go and shop. And so maybe shopping for you is an experience that brings you rest. For other people, it's a chore. You hate shopping. I love grocery shopping. It's not a chore for me. I will grocery shop gladly on a Sunday or Saturday or whatever. I'll go grocery shopping every day right? But other people hate grocery shopping, and I can appreciate that too. But what I want you to understand is that the command is less about what you do, more as it is behind the intent and your heart behind what you're choosing to do. If you are not finding your rest, if you are choosing not to set aside a day once a week to truly reconnect and encounter God in his love and his grace and his experience for you, I think you're missing out. There is a gift that God is wanting you to experience, and by not experiencing that gift, I think that you are being dishonorable to God. Are you creating space in your schedule to be able to have a day set apart for you to rest? I know some of you have swing shift work. I know some of your schedules change. I understand these things. 
I asked a farmer after the first service, because he says, hey, you know, great job, Pastor Jeremy, you know, and I say, hey, you're a farmer. How do you get, how do you understand this, right? Because you've got cows and you've got plants and everything like that. He said, look, well, he didn't say just like that, but he said, if you can't get all your work done in six days, I'm pretty sure the seventh day isn't going to help you much more. I was like, huh. He's like, there's always going to be something to work on come Sunday, but it's going to be there on Monday. So just let it ride. Certain things you have to attend to, I do, and then that's it. But man, what if we, what if we structured our own schedules and our calendars to be able to make space and make time for us to experience this gift? Remember, it is a gift. It's not a rigid thing. Again, because measured to the law, we're all going to screw up if we try to adhere to a perfect 24-hour time period of rest and uh, being set apart from the rest of the day. In fact, just another aside, I was with someone this past week from Alaska uh, he's the, well, I can't, I don't want to tell what he does, but I said, hey, how do people in Alaska celebrate Sabbath? How do they honor the Sabbath during the summer, you know, further up north in Alaska when the sun doesn't really set, you know? It's just like, hey, from sun up to sundown, you're not doing any, you know, that's like your only time not to do any work. How does that work? It's like, you know, I don't know. So I don't have an answer for you, but you're all wondering now, right? Go and find somebody and find out what they do. All right. Through Jesus' example, he wants us to understand the intent behind the law. He wants us to understand the intent behind the law. He wants us to understand the spirit of the law and that we're not rigid and restricting and burdening ourselves all the time for this Sabbath. Again, measured to the Sabbath law, we're all going to fail. But he wants us to experience this. And I don't think Jesus wants to make, have us make excuses for why we can't rest. This is a gift that he wants us to experience. And so, will you allow yourself to experience that gift? Will you allow yourself to encounter God in rest? I think if you do, you're going to find that the rest of your week turns out much better. Let's pray. God, thank you again for being such a great example to us. Thank you for showing us that the way that we need to live actually works so much better than what we think it needs to look like. Thank you for coming to this earth to be with us. Thank you for showing us through an example that you heal, that you care for your people, and that you're still involved, and that you love us, and that we can do good on the Sabbath. God, you have given us this Sabbath day to rest. Help us to enter into that rest, to let go, to experience you, to love you and to find joy and contentment in you, trusting that you're going to work out everything else if we would just submit this part of our life to you. Amen.